Welcome to Every Texan Talks, the legislative update hosted by Every Texan, where our policy experts and political insiders cut through the noise at the Texas legislative session, break down what's happening at the Capitol, and why Texans should care. Hello and welcome. I'm Muddy Sabono, CEO at Every Texan, and today we're talking state budget. Yesterday, the Texas House and Senate leaders released their respective chambers' new preliminary state budget bills for the 2024-25 biennium. Each of those proposed to shell out a historic $130 billion in general revenue. And here to help us break it down are every Texan budget expert, Eva de Luna Castro, every Texan's director of policy and advocacy, Chandra Bienueva, and our Director of Economic Opportunity, Jaime Puente. Thanks for being here today, you guys. Thank you for having us. Hello. So let's start by setting the scene for listeners today. Eva, can you, can you just, let's just start with the basics. Can you give a brief overview of how the budget in Texas is made? How is the sausage made and why is it important? It is important because without a budget, which is the only bill, I think a lot of people that follow the legislature understand, the only bill that has to pass uh, before the legislature can, can leave Austin and go back to their homes for good is the General Appropriations Act. So that's what people call the budget. But then there's a bunch of other stuff that ends up being the budget, like tax bills or, or other proposals. So generally it's one giant thousand page thing that supports our public schools, our universities, uh, pays for the prison system, public safety, driver's license, everything you may be aware that the state does, uh, sometimes with federal or local money, that, that's the Appropriations Act. It's, it, it covers two years, and that's why the legislature only meets every two years. They, they can come back if the governor calls a special session, but, but this is actually the largest state that tries to budget this way. So Texas does does kind of stand out as the, the, the most populous state that still tries to guess for two years how it's going to pay for public services. For, for 30 million people, that's a pretty big guess to make. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. On the other side, the Constitution, uh, state law, funding formulas, court orders, lawsuits, a lot of things already kind of lock up what how what the revenue um well can be done with it so got it they don't have total freedom to just move 290 billion dollars around any which way right a lot of it is already kind of set in stone by mostly the constitution and by by federal federal formulas so a lot of important takeaways there one is that even though texas is one of the largest and most populous states in the country we're still setting our budget on a biennial basis, which means the budget has to account for not just the next year, the way we do our household budgets and the way we do budgets for our businesses, it has to account for the next two years. Um, Even though there's a lot of talk right now around a so-called historic budget surplus um, and the fact that we have a lot of resources to work with right now, we're actually restricted to in many ways in how we spend our money by the state constitution, by laws, by lawsuits, uh, judicial orders and decrees. So there are some parameters that our legislators work within to set the budget. 
Um, and one of those is spending caps. Yeah. We have spending caps. Can you explain what uh, spending caps are for folks who aren't necessarily familiar with the process? Sure. And and one of the one of these is brand new. Then it's a state law. It's it's a new statutory cap. But there are four that have been there all along in the Texas Constitution. I mentioned the Constitution drives a lot of this, but but the first one is the one we talked about um, in a in a in a more in a previous podcast, which is you can't spend more money than you have. So what that means in, in wonky terms is um, from now until August of 2025, the controller tells the legislature, here's how much money I think you're going to have. He told them $189 billion in general revenue. And then uh, the Constitution says this legislature can't, can't appropriate, can't spend any more money that goes beyond that. So that's the, that's the first cap. You can't spend more money than you have. Um, unless they want to pass a tax bill, that's one way to do that, or if they vote by four-fifths majority. So that's like a super hard, super majority cap. Sure. So, so pay-as-you-go, balanced budget requirement, it's called a lot of things, but basically it's in the Constitution. Then there's also a one on state debt, which is never a problem. Texas doesn't tend to issue a lot of bonds to pay for buildings or things. Mm -hmm. Another one is, unfortunately, a cap on assistance to needy children. Wow. Um, so that's one that surprises people, <laughs> even members of, of interesting. Yeah, yeah, members of appropriations. I've watched uh, some who've been there for like decades, and they hear about this cap on assistance to needy children, and they'll turn to each other and be like, "I didn't know we had that. Did you know?" And they all kind of sit there like, "Why in the world would we need that?" Because, I mean, we actually don't have a lot in the way of cash assistance to needy children. Sometimes legislators want to include in there spending for uh, school children, okay. uh, Medicaid and CHIP, SNAP, like they kind of want to like count all of the assistance, even what's 100% federally funded. So if, if, if the legislature chose to do that, that might make a difference, but right now that cap has never been an issue. And then finally, the one that, that legislators this session are doing. i just like to add that it's never an issue because we never spend a lot on But children. if we counted children, I mean, children are 40% of the budget. So they would actually say, like, anyone who's economically disadvantaged is a needy child. How many, how many students are economically About 60%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing. And they would probably count local property taxes, too. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, getting, getting more serious, the, the cap that really is going to be a problem this session is the constitutional uh, spending cap, which is called the tax spending limit or the Article 8 cap. All of these things have more than one name, I think just to make things more confusing. But anyways, <laughs> this, this one is a cap on uh, spending of taxes that aren't dedicated by the Constitution. So you already have to kind of think about things in a negative way. But mm. to just to give an example, every time every time we all go out and buy a gallon of gasoline and put it in the car, well, you're going to need more than one gallon. <laughs> but you, you put gas in your car and you pay federal gasoline taxes and you pay state gasoline taxes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the state gasoline taxes are constitutionally dedicated. Chandra, mm. how much goes to schools? About 25%. Yes, so 25% goes to schools. That is not capped because the Constitution says this money goes to schools. The other 75% goes to... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. What always comes before before schools in Texas? Tax cuts. No, the highway fund. <laughs> the highway fund. It's the highway fund. Yeah, so, so roads... I'm doing okay on these pop quizzes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed right it's now. It's almost Friday, so we're all doing pretty good here. Yeah, yep. so 75% of the gasoline tax goes to highway, so that doesn't count against the cap either. But, like, regular sales taxes, which is what's been 
booming and pouring into the state treasury for the past couple of years because of super high inflation, the highest in 40 years. Mm. So all of this inflation is affecting sales tax revenue, like mm. half a billion dollars every month is coming in just because of inflation. Which is why, at least in part, we have a historic $32.7 billion cash balance. Exactly. A lot of that is being driven by inflation yes. and yes. ballooning uh, gas yes. prices. Um, and just to give some context, the state has about $188.2 billion in funds available for spending over the next cycle. But what we're trying to stress here is this is a nuanced, we're awash with cash, but that we can't necessarily spend because all of, of it all these caps, because yeah. of these caps and because of these structural issues. Yes, yes. And so this is, this is the gauntlet. Our, the two chambers of our legislature, the House and the Senate, are trying to run as they pass a budget this session. This year again, or this week again, the first drafts came out from each chamber. And what, so we're essentially in the first public draft phase of our budget process. Is that fair? Yes. yes. Okay. The draft budget, sometimes they get called the base budgets. Mm -hmm. Base budgets, and, okay. Uh, yeah, so starting point, they'll go through the different chambers markup committee uh -huh. full 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 chamber approval like a, any bill but there's a lot of special rules that apply to the to the, Got the budget bill so just folks um for for people who are listening and not as familiar with the process for any bill to be passed there's a version that comes out of the senate there's a version in, in the house and then there's a process by which the different versions bounce back and forth and the the two groups have to work together to come to a bill that everyone can agree with and pass and it's a lot more complicated than that but that's the gist of it and so can you give a summary of what the proposals from each chamber looked like this week um how I, much did they propose to spend yeah i mean i can i can provide all the top line numbers billions of dollars we're talking federal state the highway fund, all the money. Um, rainy day fund money is not being spent at all, so that's not mm. a part of this. But the total, all the money that's available is about two hundred and eighty-nine billion dollars mm -hmm. in state and federal funds. Yes, and okay. uh, of that, federal funds is about a third. That's like the usual amount of federal funds that helps pay for the budget. In the last biennium, it was way higher than that because COVID was still helping helping with with normal costs of schools and healthcare. But about a third is federal. Mm -hmm. um, most of it is just the, the 130 billion that you mentioned is just like pure general revenue that comes from from our taxes that aren't dedicated uh, from the lottery from a couple other places. But it's mostly the sales tax is what's driving that. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing I think just before we turn things over to Chandra to talk a little more tell us what's what's in the school proposal which is the biggest part of the budget mm -hmm. uh, the and always is the biggest yeah. part of the budget yeah is uh, the one thing that maybe people should know is you you can kind of like just pay attention to what one chamber is doing because the starting points are identical like sometimes mm -hmm. advocates have to be aware of two different proposals because maybe the House and Senate have way different ideas for how to pay for highways or foster care or something. But this time, they're almost identical from the very beginning. So, so that's kind of unusual. But the, yeah, so they spend about the same amount. Um, there's also a lot of Federal Recovery Act money that's still on the table that doesn't count against those spending caps. So that's something to be on the watch for. Uh, uh, a lot of housing assistance, for example, for renters could still be provided. And mm. It wouldn't be a problem with the caps. Um, air conditioning prisons could still be something that's doable 
with all this federal money that, that was here for COVID relief. So there's still opportunities. What we're looking at here is how is the general revenue being used? So these, um, these aren't set in stone. Um, there's still room to advocate for investments in our community. But we could say this draft it certainly reflects the priorities of the state leaders who drafted. Yes, the these, big right. three, pretty much. The big three, right. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I see $15 billion for property tax relief. I see $1.8 billion for state employee pay raises. $4.6 billion for the governor's border security program, Operation Lone Star. Um, we, I, at every Texan, we like to talk about how budgets are moral documents, that where you choose to spend your money. You can talk all day about what your values are, but where you choose to spend your money is, is where you are uh, really choosing to invest in your priorities and your values. So, Chandra, any thoughts on what these budget proposals this week say about our values? Yeah, when I first looked at the education budget, um, it was pretty clear that the legislature is prioritizing tax cuts over our kids. Um, there's $15 million, like you said, for property tax cuts. Good. Yeah, sorry, mm -hmm. billion with a B. Mm -hmm. um, in the <laughs> education budget. Um, and in the, the uh, for property tax cuts? Yeah, for yeah. property tax cuts. In okay. And our school finance system is very, very underfunded. Um, everything is sort of based on what we call the basic allotment, this um, per student level of funding that can be adjusted in the Appropriations Act and they chose not to. So while they put dollar amounts on what they are hoping to do for tax cuts, they did not put any dollar amounts for any new investments in kids beyond what current law says. Both the House and the Senate budgets did have sort of little footnotes mm -hmm. that said, we intend to put some money into schools. We're just not going to appropriate any money. For We're just not going to do it yet. We're still thinking about mm -hmm. it. It's an idea. Maybe mm -hmm. we'll put some money towards kids, but they're like $15 billion tax cuts. <laughs> they already know that. Yeah, yeah they know that for absolute sure. So that's where their priority is. That's where they really put the effort um, in this budget. And there is some slight differences in what the House and the Senate said about their intents for funding education. Uh -huh. The Senate kept it super narrow and just said teacher compensation, mm. um, including but not limited to the teacher incentive allotment. So they okay. sort of um, targeted that program, which was designed to get teachers into hard to teach campuses and rural campuses and things like that. It's a program that was really developed by Dallas ISD. Um, the House was a little bit broader in what they said that they were interested in looking at for funding schools. They said um, that they're going to increase it to schools, not just compensation. Mm -hmm. And they included compensation, that teacher incentive allotment again, the basic allotment, mm -hmm. school safety, and instructional materials. So they are look. So it sounds like the House is looking at a broader proposal okay. for school funding. But, but again, they still didn't appropriate it. But they didn't money. appropriate it anyway. Okay. But yeah, but at the same intent. time, they have a legislative intent, but they put 15 billion in taxes. Yeah. yeah, we like to say you wanna put your money where your mouth is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, and because the basic allotment is something that they can change in the Appropriations Act, you don't need another bill to do it. It's something that they could have shown mm -hmm. they're more than intent by actually appropriating it, and they chose not to. So if you're, if you're interested in what we're talking about, when we talk about basic allotment, go to the episodes in our, in our podcast. There's a School Funding 101, um, podcast we highly recommend for anyone who are trying who's trying to follow these issues but in a nutshell basic allotment is the per student um, funding allocation that our school funding formula gives to schools for each um, 
each student in the in the district right. and and our in our case our basic allotment hasn't been adjusted since before the pandemic yeah and schools as we it's been all over the news we've all seen it we've experienced it for those of us who have who are in public schools attending public schools or who have children attending public schools the challenges that our schools have faced during the pandemic and even post pandemic have just been unprecedented we just had a joint report with the AFT, two-thirds of our teachers are thinking about leaving the profession altogether, and our per-pupil spending is some of the lowest in the country. So this is um, this is not uh, icing on the cake that we're talking about here. These are just sort of basic things we need to do to finish baking. Right, and I think it's important, too, to you know go back to like what Eva was saying, that the reason we have this kind of historic level of a beginning, beginning balance to build this mm-hmm. budget is because of inflation um, and, and the impact that that had on sales tax collections. Um, so the fact that they're using this and prioritizing it for property tax cuts, those aren't even the taxpayers that contributed to this beginning wow. balance. Um, and I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. People, everybody pays the sales tax. Yeah, everybody pays the sales whether tax, rent, but this fifteen billion dollar tax cut that's in wow. the education bill only benefits homeowners wow. and property owners, and not everyone in the state. And so, what we should really be focusing on instead of these tax cuts, which in a lot of ways are wasted spending because there's no return on it, we should be making investments in our community that have returns in the future. So increasing teacher compensation, investing in our kids in schools, Mm -hmm. increasing salaries for state workers as a whole. The people who are directly impacted by inflation need to have raises, um, and we can do a lot on the state level to increase um, salaries. Yeah, so you you just mentioned increasing um, pay for state employees, and by coincidence, every Texan with our partners just launched a statewide campaign yesterday to do just that. Jaime, you want to, that's, that's, uh, your team, Amanda Pawson on your team, um, one of our policy analysts in Worker Power, she's the lead for that campaign. Um, we're so excited about it. We're so excited to be working with our partners on this issue. You want to give a little overview on what that looks like and why it's important to our state's future? Yes, thank you. So um, Amanda Pawson, uh, in partnership with TSEU and our some other union partners, Um, have launched Texans Together. It's a worker power campaign focused on state employees across Texas. Um, One thing that that we found out recently, thanks to Amanda's work uh, and the report that has come out along with the campaign, is that uh, turnover among state employees costs us $1.2 billion annually. So it actually costs us more to underpay state employees than it would cost if we just paid them, wow. which is, it's, 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 it's a little mind-boggling. Doesn't uh, sound like good fiscal management. <laughs> not quite, not you know, for, for, <laughs> for a state that heralds itself as fiscally conservative, that is not a fiscal conservative, that's not, we're not talking about um, um, managing our state like a well-functioning business. No right. business could operate, operate like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things that, that we, and we see that every day, you know, and so we see that in the news, child protective services, um, you know, uh, healthcare enrollment agents, right? Like we're losing these state employees in, you know, in droves. They're and, leaving. And then and as then, a result, we see backlogs. So exactly. the people who need these services, um, either continue, you know, ongoing or need to enroll because we're in the middle of record high inflation. It's tough times. Um, 
it's if we don't have those state employees there to administer those programs, it's it's all sort of a moot point. Yeah, and you know, and it's not just it's not just you know it's more than which is a very it's 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 a bad thing. It disrupts our lives to be at the DPS office waiting two or three hours for a driver's license. But when it comes to child protective services, mm. we are talking about the lives of Life our most vulnerable children. We are talking about kids who have been trafficked, who are sleeping in, in state offices or motels wow. or random unsafe places. We're talking about the lives of kids being played with by the fact that we don't invest in the services that protect them. Right. Um, and, and that's a really good example, if I can interrupt. It takes like three or four months, from what I understand, to train a CPS worker. So wow. first you put all this training into them, then they get thrown into the deep end with a caseload that's way higher than it should be. And then when they quit, the problem when you're when you're trying to figure out if children are being abused or neglected is it's helpful if it's the same person that checks on them every every few weeks or every few months. If it's a different person every time because the last person quit, nope. I mean, it, 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 there's too many children falling through the cracks because there's no consistent way to make sure that, that things aren't getting worse for them instead of better. And those are the kids who are going to school in mm. our underfunded schools. Mm. Those are the kids who are showing up in emergency rooms with, you know, or eventually if they don't receive the services that they get, they show up in our prisons. Uh, and so I think that, you know, it's, it's the $1.2 billion number that is associated with state turnover is a, an extremely conservative amount because there's no way for us to actually quantify how much we're losing by not investing in these critical state services. Yeah, that's fascinating because that's just a fraction of the um, the cash balance. Yeah, so we're talking about a $32.7 billion um, cash balance, historically large. We've never seen anything like it. Um, but the turnover, the cost of that turnover numbers, you said $1.2 billion. Mm -hmm. But okay. the, also the other thing is we have a record high ending balance and record high revenue. Mm -hmm. We also have a record high turnover rate. Isn't it right. like the highest wow. in 30 years? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Highest in 30 years. Yeah, so like connect the dots. Maybe we have all this money because we haven't been paying people what they're worth for the last 30 years. And they finally got onto that and quit. <laughs> yeah, these are, bills that, these are bills that are due. Yeah. We got to pay our bills. Yeah, like, you don't pay teachers what they're worth. They're right, gonna they're going to leave. Yeah. Yeah, we need to we need to pay our employees and um, our public servants first. That's yeah, we we've got bills due. Yeah, we got bills due. And then, and then one other thing that again that thirty three billion that everybody's been hearing about mm -hmm. is is pretty it's a lot of money to leave on the table. But that's just this year's ending balance. The legislature, the proposals that are that are um, proposing to use money through twenty twenty five. When you add in what's left untouched there, that's like $45 billion. So wow. really, there is more available to do the right thing, to pay state workers, give them a raise, to fund our schools, pay teachers, raise the basic allotment. There's so many other things that could be done. With $45 billion more in general revenue, there's $27 billion in the rainy day fund in case the economy gets worse. There's, like I said, at least 5 or $6 billion in federal money. So there is a lot more available um, legislators just have to be willing to do the right thing. They're going to say, no, 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 we have these spending caps, but they, they're they the ones that impose that cap on themselves. And we're not at those caps. No, no. So even, even with these proposed yeah, budgets, we're not room, at those yeah. caps. There's, there's still room. There's room in the room. budget. There's room in the next one. They Rainy can, day funds are untouched. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and the other interesting thing to know is back in 2007, when that legislature was trying to implement a $14 billion tax reduction in school taxes, 
they went ahead and voted to, to exceed the, the constitutional spending cap. So wow. And, and the world didn't end. We're all still here today. So I think, I think just kind of understanding that it's, it's, it's worse to ignore all these needs and use this excuse of, oh, it's in the Constitution or it's a state spending cap. It's like, why did you come to Austin if you didn't want to make the right choices that are going to help? everybody in your district I mean, those community investments yeah i thought it was fascinating because with the rolling out of these proposals this week uh lieutenant governor dan patrick said we must prioritize this is a quote i'm reading in case i couldn't remember it i wrote it down <laughs> we must prioritize spending that will keep texas the nation's economic powerhouse um, but the engine that runs that powerhouse are teachers our school administrators our state employees um, the people who are working to make sure our workforce is strong and can meet the demands of the future are undeniably underfunded at this point, and the stress is coming to bear. We're really starting to see the effects of that historic underfunding. Uh, thank you for being with us um, again. Yeah. yeah, it's all about priorities, and these That's are right. choices that they are making. That's right. Um, and there's still time to make better choices. That's the important Exactly. We're at the very beginning of the stage here. It'll go fast, and then it'll go slow, but we still have lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We, um, lots, you know, go to our website. We have the, the link in the closing for this podcast. We'll include some information in the description for this podcast on our new campaign, campaign and how to get involved. This is everybody's problem. It affects all of us. And we encourage you to join us in the fight here at Every Texan. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.